This morning's reading is from Nehemiah 2 and I'm reading from verses 11 through to 20. I went to Jerusalem and after staying there three days, I set out during the night with a few others. I had not told anyone what my God had put in my heart to do for Jerusalem. There were no mounts with me except the one I was riding on. By night I went out through the valley gate towards the jackal well and the dung gate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, because as yet I had said nothing to the Jews or to the priests or nobles or officials or any others who would be doing the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. But when the Sambalat, the Horonite, the Tobiah, the Ammonite official and Geshem, the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing? They asked, are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heavens will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Well, hello and welcome. Uh, This morning, we're going to jump back into our teaching series uh, in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, just to recap briefly, the, the story of Nehemiah takes place in the 5th century BC during the end of the, the Jewish exile. Uh, about 140 or so years before then, the Jewish people had been taken captive by the Babylonians. And subsequently, the Babylonians had been conquered by the Persians. And, and, and so Nehemiah is a descendant of the exiles and he's now in this kind of privileged uh, workplace as cupbearer to the king. And it's during this time that Nehemiah learns about the ruins of the city walls of his ancestral home of Jerusalem. And he begins to have this burden to, to go back and rebuild the city walls. And eventually uh, after months of prayer and agonizing and longing, uh, he, he gains favor with the Persian king who grants his request and he goes back to start the rebuilding project. And so this is where we've got to as we pick up again in the second half of chapter two. Now, one of the, the big themes that we've been trying to lean into as we journey through this book is this theme of rebuilding uh, and uh, as we as we journey through this we're really asking ourselves what does it mean to rebuild in a season where our lives have faced so much disruption what does it mean to rebuild our lives on the other side what would it mean for us to rebuild as a church you know what foundations are we going to rebuild upon what will it look like for us 
to play our part in rebuilding in our communities and, and the different places that we inhabit? What are some of the lessons that we can learn from the life of this leader, Nehemiah, as we step into our own season of rebuilding? And so as we step into this second half of chapter two this morning, I just want to pick up on three different themes uh, as we journey through it. First of all, as we pick up in verse 11 of chapter two, it says this. It says, I went to Jerusalem and after staying there for three days. Why would that be significant? Well, some scholars would tell us that this, this verse where Nehemiah tells us he, he hung around for three days is actually a parallel with a verse in the book of Ezra. Now, you may remember me saying the book of Ezra is like a prequel uh, to the book of Nehemiah. And it tells the story of the rebuilding of the temple and the reestablishment of worship in Jerusalem. And uh, in Ezra chapter 8 and verse 32, it says this, we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested for three days. And so there's this parallel that we see with what happened in Ezra and what is happening now in Nehemiah. And so the first thing we learn about Nehemiah the rebuilder and the first lesson that I think we can take away is that Nehemiah was a person who worked from a place of rest. And actually, this, this principle of working from a place of rest is, is an age-old principle. We, we find it throughout the scriptures. You know, if we were to just look at the, the creation account in the book of Genesis, God creates humans in his image and he gives them dominion and power over everything. And the first day on the job, what is it? It's a day off. That God invites us to work from a place of rest. Now, nearly 100% of the time, we get that completely the wrong way around. Most of us work our socks off all week and then we collapse in a heap at the weekend. But God's invitation to us is to work having rested. This is at complete odds with our culture, a culture full of hurry and stress and overwork and continued engagement. In many ways, this season that we find ourselves in has presented two distinct realities. For many of us, uh, we've never worked as hard in our life as we have in these last few months. Maybe as you, maybe as we've changed um, the way we work, we've had to cope with things like homeschooling. Do you remember that? And uh, and um, the word that everybody used was was we had to pivot. You know, I, I interact with a lot of church leaders, and one of the words I hear them say quite a lot is pivot. And um, as you know, as they've kind of navigated church, going from their physical locations to different online environments. But whatever we've done for a living, however, whatever our job is, we've all had to work hard in this season. And yet at the same time, many of us have experienced the fact that life and the pace that we live it has completely changed. Many of you have reflected back to me that 
that the busyness of life is no longer there. You're no longer running around as a taxi driver for your kids. There, there isn't that many commitments taking up your evenings. Life feels less hurried. And so as we possibly step back into a sense of normal life again in the in the months ahead, as we begin to rebuild, what of this current moment could we take into the next? Well, well, one of the things I think we could take with us is our less hurried lives. You know, if we're going to rebuild, what foundation are we going to rebuild from? You see, the temptation is, let's just get back to normal as quickly as we can. You know, the same was true for Nehemiah. We already know that Nehemiah was had this period of waiting, that, you know, this, this four months of prayer and crying out to God before the king let him go. And then finally, he's on his way to Jerusalem. And, and, and that journey would have taken at least another four months again. And so by the time Nehemiah arrives in the city, he's bursting. You know, he's like, let's get on with the task. Let, let's get on with building the walls. But that's not his response, is it? Instead, Nehemiah arrives and his immediate thing to do is to step into a place of rest. I want to challenge us a little bit this morning and just say this. If ever there was a moment for us to rediscover the ancient practice of Sabbath, then now is the time. What would it look like for each one of us to begin to build this rhythm into our life where for 24 hours, once a week, we unplug from the rest of the world? Now, we don't do that because there's a religious box to tick to say we're good Christians or, or because it's the dutiful thing to do. We, we do that because it's good for us. That's why Jesus says in Mark's gospel, he says the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the idea of practicing Sabbath, the idea of unplugging and, and, and downing tools for a period of 24 hours, it's not meant to be a burden. It's not meant to be a religious duty. It's meant to be something that helps us. It's meant to be something that brings life. And so Nehemiah arrives in the city and the first thing he does his rests. And once he's rest, he then sets out to do his work. And so first we see he goes alone and he begins to investigate the state of the walls and, and he begins to assess what, what work actually needs to be done. And then in verse 17, we see he begins to cast his vision. Verse 17, it says this, Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned by with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. 
And so we see Nehemiah, he, he shares the vision and he invites others to play their part. You know, as we look to rebuild, um, I think the lesson that we can learn is, is that first, Nehemiah, he identifies the problem. He, he tells the people, I don't know if you've realised, but we're in trouble. The city lies in ruins. We're in disgrace. And maybe they had grown so accustomed to the ruins around them that they didn't see the problem they were in. He then tells them something can be done about it. He says, come, let us rebuild the walls. There's this kind of rally cry amongst the people. We can do something about this. And we can do this not just in our own strength, but because God's favour, God's gracious hand has gone before us. And then we see there's a response from the people. They say, let us start rebuilding. You know, as we begin the process of rebuilding, we're going to have problems that we're going to have to face. There's going to be ruins that need rebuilding. There's going to be lives that need putting back together. There's going to be families that need our support. And my prayer and my hope isn't that we that we just set up another project or another ministry to solve those problems. I'm, I'm not saying they're bad things to do, but actually I would love to see that people would see themselves as ministers, that we would see ourselves as people who can have God-given solutions, that the, that the ministry of the church wouldn't be reduced to a project or or a particular program, but actually the ministry of the church would return to its grassroots, that, that as people, we would be stirred to the point where, where as individuals, we think, I can do something about this. You know, I can do something about this. And together with, with friends, we're going to rally around and we're going to become part of the solution. And so Nehemiah casts the vision, he invites others to join him and they finally begin the process of rebuilding the walls. And so as we step into chapter three, uh, the thing I want us to see from this moment is, is that the process of rebuilding requires everyone to take their place. You see, as we read through chapter three, all kinds of households and people got involved. And, um, you know, we haven't got time to read through it this morning, but uh, you'll see it was all kinds of people, all, all different walks of life, priests and different kinds of people, all, all getting their hands dirty and taking their place. You know, this, this process of rebuilding the walls was a significant project and it took everyone playing their part and everyone taking their place. You know, as we seek to rebuild, never before has there been a time in our history where we where we need everybody ready to take their place. Just sitting on the sidelines doesn't feel like an option anymore. Just being a spectator, maybe giving our opinion like like those who criticised or opposed what Nehemiah was doing. I'm not sure there's room for that on the other side anymore. 
You know, earlier this year, back in January, um, at our National Leaders Conference, we, we heard an interview with Carol Wimber. And Carol was the wife of John Wimber. And together they founded our family of churches, the Vineyard Family of Churches. And in this interview, she was asked to share what she felt the Lord was saying to the church in this season. And so as as I prepared uh, for, for this talk this morning, I was reminded again of the words that she spoke. And I, I just want to finish up before we come back and perhaps do some ministry. I just want to finish up by hearing the words that she had to say. What I see is, it's not just for the vineyard, it's, it's for all of us. Uh, and the God showed me, it was about five years ago, and I was in church, and I was just worshiping, and I wasn't thinking about anything, and except that there was a presence of the Holy Spirit in the room, and I thought, uh, you know, where's that, where's that spark that makes it explode? You know, like when Lonnie was around, Blaine was around, and John, John was the torch, and I thought of them as torches. Where are the torches? And I'm just kind of thinking out loud to the Lord. And then, uh, then he turns it around on me. He said, where are the torches, Carol? And uh, I'm thinking, what? You know, what, me? I don't know, Lord. I don't know where they are. Um, well, I know some of them blew it, and they're not in the ministry anymore. And I know, I know some of the others, but uh, you know, you know what, what all happened. And uh, he said, Carol... You've, you've looked at something uh, the wrong way, and I need them in their places. I need all the whole body of Christ in their place for, for what's coming, and it is coming. And that, I mean, that's just how I heard it. And it is coming. And I have, had the sense of urgency. He said, I need everybody in their places. And he said, you thought, he said, I have, he, this is what he said. He said, I had them covered. I had them covered, like here, you know, we didn't have to do what we did. Um, I had them covered. He said, the trouble is, Carol, you've been looking at, you've been looking at the Christian walk as a, as, as, as a time that we would be getting, you would be getting, we, the people, getting closer and holier and, uh, and, uh, more acceptable to God, and as time goes on, we're more perfect. And he said, that was never the story. The story was my mercy, my redemption. It was never the people's redemption. It was, it, the story was me, my grace. The whole story was my, was my grace, my grace and love and provision. He said, I had him covered. And so I thought, oh, what now, Lord? What now? What now? He said, I want everybody in their place for what's coming. So, and I'm like, okay, Lord. So I went home. I was in shock because, I mean, my whole theology had just changed. Uh, and I started praying. You know, I got in the living room, started praying and praying praying. And, and uh, for every one of these people that went through my mind, it was like a Rolodex. I could see face after face of people that guys and, and women that weren't in the ministry anymore because they had disqualified themselves, you know, and either we got them out or they took themselves out, out of shame. And, and he made me understand, I had them covered. And so I prayed, 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 and then they just started showing up. Well, I didn't call anybody. They started showing up at my house. 
and over about a two-month, three-month period. And I told them, I mean, I was so so grateful they were there. I, I pulled them in the house. I said, oh, I've got to tell you something. You need, to, you need to get back, get back in your place because he needs everybody in their place. And, and he showed me a picture. You've been thinking it's like tiles. Well, he's gone, but another tile. He said, it isn't like tiles. It's like a piece of the puzzle. Nobody fits but them. I have to have them in their place in the body for this thing to work right. And, uh, and so, I mean, that changed everything for me. Mm. And I talked, I talked to a lot of them, and uh, they're, they're, they've been back in the ministry and going great. Mm. And uh, I mean, I had some apologizing to do mm -hmm. out of my uh, ignorance. I mean, I did think the story was about, about our growing holiness and so on. It never was. It was always about His grace and mercy. Mm -hmm. And he'll, he'll take care of the rest. He knows how to deliver us. So anyhow, that's for the whole world. That it wasn't just for our church or our group. That's for the whole entire church. He needs us in our place for what's coming. And I, I didn't know, I'm not sure exactly what's coming, but I know it's coming and I know it's soon and I know it's huge. And it's going to be the whole thing. It's like nothing we've ever seen before. And that's kind of scary and wonderful to think about. And this plays out across the whole body of Christ. The whole, and not the whole just torches, but the whole thing. Place. You need to get it, what it is God's called you to do and do it with all your heart. Mm -hmm. Because it's so very, very important because no one else has been designed to do it like you will do it. And you're the one he calls. No one else can, will ever be able to do what he's called you to do. Because we really are unique. Each one of us, unique. Designed for our place. And that goes for the church in the U.K., especially for the church in the UK because you're right after us and uh, New Zealand and all the countries, the, mm -hmm. the church everywhere. I mean, it's coming and it's going to be so big and so huge and wonderful, but terrible too. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, we need to be in our place so, so we can handle the influx because masses of people, masses of people are going to be brought in. We think people have disqualified themselves and, can't be in the ministry or can't do it. God's, well, it, that's not true. He's bigger than that and he had his covers covered. So just do it. Everybody knows in their spirit. Everybody knows in their spirit what you're called to do. So do it. Won't be sorry. <laughs>